Welcome to Performance Anxiety. Fans of Devin Townsend will recognize this week's guest. I welcome lighting director, video maker, and multi-instrumentalist Mike St. Jean to the show. He tells me about studying music and philosophy, how he began working with Devin, it involves a big wood stove, how to be a touring band member and lighting director in the same show, and how he met up with the legendary John Carpenter. Mike talks about fart tubes, border crossings, and my favorite Mike St. Jean item, two turntables and a Mike St. Jean. And there's a ton more in here. Follow him at Mike St. Jean on Instagram, at Facebook, and at his website, MikeStJean.com. Follow us at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram. Get merchandise at PerformanceANX.threadless.com. Subscribe, rate, review, and share this episode featuring Mike St. Jean. Right, I'll just say it and you can tell me that it was amazing. Um, hey, this is Mike St. Jean. I'm a musician and lighting and visual stuff thing person. I'm going to be talking with Mark today about uh, performance anxiety on his show, Performance Anxiety, brought to you by Performance Anxiety. Uh, how are you doing? Good, good. Good to talk with you. Yeah, man, I really do appreciate you spending a little time with me today. No, absolutely. I, I appreciate you thinking of this. This is... Uh, cool opportunity to have a chat yeah and as that's one of the cool things about technology is it uh, it allows us to do stuff like this and get in touch with uh with people whose music you really really like but wouldn't otherwise be able to to contact yeah i like uh i like being able to listen into other people's conversations uh so so it's cool to <laughs> All have right. a conversation so this is a yeah. So this this podcast will be right up your alley. Then it's just a casual talk between us and the listeners are just eavesdropping, basically. So sick. That's what I do all the time at restaurants. <laughs> you, oh man, see, I knew we would get along. So you're from you're from Ottawa, and uh, you've been a professional musician for a while. What when did you start getting into music? Were you brought up in a like a musical family? Did your parents play instruments, or what, what got you started with music? Yeah, I guess it was a musical family. My dad was in bands as a kid, um, played drums, played guitar, uh, had a couple different bands. One was called Chapter One, one was called The Young Ones. Um, and my grandfather also played some instruments. He was a bit of a jack of all trades. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and then for me, it was just, I mean, I remember, I can remember like vividly uh, Raffi, I think it was Raffi, uh, who, if you're not familiar, is like a kid's singer songwriter, oh, yeah. plays acoustic guitar and, yeah. like, and like, <laughs> sings kids songs. Yeah. And I would listen to this same tape over and over again at night while I was falling asleep. And then I think I, my uncle probably introduced me to a lot of like classical music and orchestral music. And I loved movie soundtracks, uh, just like so epic, a lot of John Williams stuff. Oh yeah. Uh, primarily later, uh, James Newton Howard, Hans Zimmer. Uh, but yeah, that, that's always been, I've always gravitated towards that kind of like lush and epic and, and high, uh, high aesthetic kind of thing that you get out of a lot of those epic music scores. Um, and then at some point my dad introduced me to rock and roll, uh, Led Zeppelin, uh, Roy Orbison actually was, that was on a lot. Oh, nice. A lot of these like, like old rock. Yeah. band. I remember simply red, uh, rush. Uh, he was huge into rush. So then yeah. that's how I started. I think that was probably where I started getting 
be interested in being a drummer. Uh, and then I, I played drums. Yeah. I picked up, I don't know how old I was. I think I kind of like fancied myself as a singer guitar player before I actually played any instruments or, or like <laughs> did anything musical. I, I, I played piano at a, at a young age. I started taking lessons pretty young and did that for a number of years. Oh, okay. Uh, and then I don't know how old I would have been like nine or something when I started playing drums. Maybe I think I got my first drum set when I was 13. No, I, I, I had my cousins when I was much younger. We bought one off of my cousin, Brad, I think who played as well. Um, yeah, played drums. And, uh, and then actually when I graduated from high school, I didn't know what to do. So I, I studied it in university too. Uh, got a, a bachelor of music, oh. minor in philosophy. Now that, weird combo. that's, I was going to say, that's kind of an interesting mix. What, uh, what drew you to philosophy? What did I read in philosophy? Well, what, what drew you to it? Was it, you know, open up a little philosophy shop um, somewhere on main street in Ottawa? Might've, yeah, it might've been a girl I was dating at the time was she studied, uh, philosophy and po- politics. So she, she called it political philosophy was her degree. And I was just like fascinated by that. that she really like opened all of this up to me and I became fascinated and hooked. And so I, I might not have even been until third year that I started taking the classes and then, and then over like third and fourth year got enough credits or whatever for a, a minor. I think that's how it worked. might've been the latter half of the second year that I started, but yeah, it was just, uh, I couldn't get enough of it. I still can't get enough of it. I think it's fascinating and, uh, important concepts, mm-hmm. uh, but also, uh, paralyzing concepts. So I still kind of <laughs> suffer. So uh, what kind of, what kind of that. stuff is paralyzing to you? Um, I don't, I, I, it's kind of like this overwhelming concept that I, I, I feel like we don't talk about a lot of these bigger questions or they get overshadowed by a lot of the more trivial things that we allow, uh, control our lives. And, and by we, I mean, ultimately these just, must be just a reflection of my own life. But, uh, yeah, the, the, these bigger questions are, are always there and it's so easy to ignore them in the name of like whatever it is, keeping up with the Kardashians. And, um, I, I find it weird how much like those, the stuff that's kind of always there is, isn't really talked about as much or, uh, embraced or maybe it is, and I just don't see it happening. Maybe I'm focusing in the wrong place. I'm not sure. Uh, but I, I, I'm just fascinated by like, you know, what is all of this made of? So I also lately have been on a kick of just watching all these like quantum physics, YouTube videos. Oh my God. Um, just to, to, oh, it's, it's amazing though. It's, it's really interesting to watch like the same topic explained by three or four different people and to see what each lecture focuses on even though they're all talking about the same thing, you like, you'll, you'll tease out different kind of perspectives and different kind of, uh, significance when we're all really talking about the same thing. Um, but I find all of that fascinating, even though maybe, well, again, uh, some people will say, you know, what is the point of this? How does this really impact your real life? Like, like who cares, um, at the end of the day. But I, I think that that maybe reflects a larger issue, which is why, is all of this so apparently like insignificant in our quote unquote daily lives is that maybe suggest that humanity has gone off the rails in the wrong direction. <laughs> uh, 
Or maybe people I, just yeah. can't see a connection between what they do and the larger picture of everything. Yeah, or maybe they do, and it's just me that doesn't. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I try to remind myself of that sometimes, too. Like, maybe I just having – I think that everyone else is, is like, not – attuned to all this but maybe they are and they're just like yeah no it's sick but instead i want to you know do these other things which is fine too so speaking uh, of, of of larger pictures what when did you start playing in bands <laughs> um i started uh, like uh again pretty early on i was uh either playing with friends on the street we would just get together and like jam uh i in would have been elementary school, no middle school. So it was like grade seven and eight. I started playing percussion in like the school bands, doing the orchestral thing and doing the jazz thing, and that okay. continued throughout high school and then and then university. Uh, I was playing in jazz bands, and I yeah started playing in some rock bands with like friends when I was I don't know fourteen or or a, a bit younger. And I well I remember when I was fourteen I had my first like real gig where we played in a cover band at a pub. Oh. Uh, and I was like clearly wildly underage. Yeah. And it, this was when you could still smoke in bars too. And it was just oh wow, like, it was a really great, um, when I look back on it, it was, it was great. It was like the perfect initiator into playing live music professionally because nobody cared that we were there and, uh, we weren't very good, but we loved it. <laughs> and, uh, we did it every week for, for a while. Uh, yeah. And that grew into playing with more friends and doing some original stuff. And we, we covered a lot of like nineties Canadian rock bands, like big wreck and the Mac, good band, little oh, bit of Radiohead. I love big wreck. Things real. Yeah. Big wreck. Ian Thornley is sick. Um, big wreck, our lady peace. I'm mother earth. They're just, yeah, we did a couple, did a couple our lady peace tunes, a couple of mother earth tunes. And we did, uh, Jeez. Couple of Matchbox Twenty songs, you know, not, maybe not my that, go-to. <laughs> you know, I Mother Earth, man, that's impressive. The teenagers pulling off some I Mother Earth—that's complicated stuff. Yeah, there was a band called Finger Eleven that was one of our, oh, yeah, some of the harder tunes. That not, not um, like the first record. Their, their first record is so good. Yes. Uh, Tip and also grayer something something grayer blue skies or something okay, uh, okay. those records are so good um and then they struck that adult contemporary gold with um one thing and their career kind of like well i mean yeah. i guess I, I, I don't know i don't know as long as they're happy then yeah. great but <laughs> like those first two records were so ripping like great rock tunes like alternative rock song uh yeah albums and then that one thing record and then they tried to be like a pop rock thing. And I think everyone was just kind of like gave up on them, which is all right. So that's fine. That leads me to a couple questions for you then. Yeah. Regarding our lady peace. Are you, Uh are you a Mike Turner or a Steve Mazur guy? Cause they got Steve newer guitar player. Yeah. He was the guy that, that came in uh, uh, on the gravity album. So, Oh, Gravity is a sick record. It's amazing. That? Is that Bob Rock or is that uh, one of the... Yeah, yeah, that was Bob Rock. Bro- Former podcast guest, Bob Rock. Oh, sick. Yeah, well, he's a Vancouver right too, actually. Him and him and Che are doing some stuff together. I yeah. Say that. yeah, yeah, Roach Collective. Yeah, well, I've had... Che's been on. Um, I've had a 
Jordan Zadarosny from Blink of the Star was also co-hosting the podcast when Bob Rock came on too. So, oh, cool. Okay. So, uh, now, what, what a legend. Um, so I, I see. Uh, I I kind of like Mike Turner's. I, I think Our Lady Peace is a little more. I don't see more experimental, but once they hit that that when Steve came in, they they I feel like they did that finger leavening where they went a little more mainstream sounding but I, I, gravity is just such a great album yeah was he who was on um the machines one where they had like Criswell or someone yes. like in the background that was that was, uh, a, that was pretty ripping right yeah that was mike turner that was his last album with our lady p that was his last album right i mean they're just uh what's his singer there is is just such a great songwriter um Rain, yeah as much they're they're a bit of a guilty pleasure i think but those i'm gonna say to answer your question mike turner because those first couple records were like so raw and so good and so unique at the time i think um that's the the latter stuff was yeah that's the The latter stuff was like less we just wasn't it wasn't um exciting anymore but it's the kind of thing where when you hear one of those songs just out of the blue it's like god damn these guys could write and produce and just like you know, it's it's hard to deny. Uh, I think the quality of that stuff. Yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, I I definitely like uh, Mike Turner's sound. Uh, those albums were just amazing, and and perhaps it was the time. Uh, you know, I was right around the end of my college years when that was coming out early, mid to early college years. So that may have had an effect on it. A second question for you regarding my mother Earth. Similar, um, similar, yeah. similar vein. Are you an Edwin guy or a Brian Byrne guy? When they change uh, singers, Edwin. Um, <laughs> uh, I think again, you have to give. Uh, I think the stuff that they did with the newer singer was also really great. Like they did some some really awesome stuff. There was something something Mars. I can't remember the name of it. That was really oh, good. When did you um, get back from Mars? Yeah, yeah. I'm Mother Earth was always a little on my periphery because I. Um, I don't know. My, my guitar playing buddies were like super into them. I just was never really that. I don't know what I was listening to that I was not. Really <laughs> but, um, the that that first record I think of theirs was the one that was again just like a band like this just comes out of nowhere in a sense and, and floors yeah. people right. And Edwin put in the work, <laughs> so yeah, I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna give him that. And I, he had a couple okay singles when he went solo. I think. Yeah, I've you know it's Maybe not feel like a star, but down down here in the lower forty, it's hard to find any of his solo stuff. So I haven't been able to really hear much of his solo stuff. But Quicksilver Meat Dream to me is my favorite I'm Mother Earth album. That album is yeah. brilliant from start to finish. I don't again. I don't know a lot of their stuff off by heart. I just, or like like at all really. I just remember everyone was was loving it, and I'm sure I learned a song or two to jam with my buddies at the time. There was a lot of music history that was always just like just out of reach or not out of reach, but like just over the horizon from what I was paying attention to. I tend to get blinders on with certain artists and like that's all I care about <laughs> yeah. for some re- like some weird reason. I remember I had a Radiohead poster for like years and I never listened. Like I, I <laughs> did not know what this like what it was. And then. Finally, I was like, like 10 years late to the party. I heard, you know, something. It was like, oh my God, what is, you know, what is this? Oh, uh, so I, yeah, I've got weird blinders on for music. Some people 
have like voracious appetites for new music and it i am always it takes me a while that uh, was me back in the 90s that was mm-hmm. yeah that was definitely oh me. listening to everything oh yeah. yeah it was insane i mean every dime i had went to my cd collection it was just mm. and you can tell in my house because now i've got bins full of about yeah. i'd say but just shy of about four thousand cds Wow, and what do you do with those now, right? Make oh, a, those reflective kitchen floors yeah. or something. <laughs> oh man, that'd be a great idea. I didn't no, think of that. <laughs> reflective kitchen. It, Actually, the thing it would is be cool if you had them with the labels up. Yeah. And like, oh. See, for me, for me, I'm I'm a tactile guy. I need to own it. I need to touch it. If I if I just get download only, I don't feel like I actually own it. Even if I paid for it and didn't do it illegally, I I don't feel like I own it unless I have a uh, do it illegally. Yeah. <laughs> if I don't have it. <laughs> yeah. if, I, if I don't have cover art, you know, I can't flip through liner notes and read the the bands that they thank. I it's just mm. I don't like not having that yeah. stuff. I oh well then that's where vinyl has had such a great resurgence I guess right is is yes. because of that you know, hold something and even though you listen to it on Spotify people will go out and buy the record anyways um, yeah I'm, I'm not because I always wanted to know where was this recorded who's the engineer like who was a part of this and uh, that you kind of gets lost because it, it's now it literally it's just Wikipedia all the time yeah. listening to something need to like want to look into it but not really that bothered whereas yeah if i had the cd in my hand i would definitely look at that stuff so it's, it's funny how that's kind of getting lost too that and artwork as well you know i mean if you get a download yeah you'll get a jpeg but how often are you going to pull up the jpeg when you're you know listening to it on on your phone yeah what i do think is a is a cool innovation is how spotify now um artists will have like little videos to go with their songs. Not that you're staring at your phone while you're listening to the music, but <laughs> you like when you launch the song, it'll start playing this thing. And if you happen to open your phone up for whatever reason, it's like, Oh, that's a cool, you know, mood that they put with it. Oh, so that's um, it, cool. I, I didn't know that. I, that's how it shows you how often I go on Spotify. Yeah. I, I use it just because it's, it's so easy. Um, you know, uh, to just listen to whatever. And I'm, I'm more of at this point, like I just want to, I see people posting stuff on Instagram all the time and I want to be able to just go listen to that song and see what the fuss is all about kind of thing. Right. You know, get some inspiration or, and, and save the playlist. And it's, it's so convenient. It's really hard to, uh, for me, I find whether it's Apple music or Spotify or Google or whatever, it's so convenient now. Uh, it just sucks that it, well, I was gonna say it sucks that it pays so poorly for the artists. Um, but I think that there's, I, I, I keep feeling like I have to go back and do the math on, sort of comparing like if you buy a cd and listen to it a thousand times what are you really paying per song and then how does that work out to streaming i think streaming is still a a hundredth of what you would kind of pay when you buy a cd but you know um, i never thought of it like that actually i used to make that argument just for like to be a devil's advocate um and because also at, at first people were saying like oh if i get Pay, uh, if I get played on CBC radio, I get like 25 bucks a spin. It's like, yeah, but there might be a million people listening to that one performance of that song versus, you know, one person playing it just for themselves. It's obviously not worth $25 per spin or even a dollar per spin or even, I don't know, is it worth 10 cents per spin or one cent? But 
the Spotify payout is like a, a hundredth of a cent or a thousandth of a cent or something yeah. like that. So I think the math is still not, still not great. Yeah. It's not uh, skewed to you guys. That's for sure. To Yeah. No, to the creators. No. And it's also, there's some interesting articles that have been exploring how like the trends of music writing, right? How quickly does the chorus come in? Do they start with the chorus because they need to get you to listen to also a certain amount of the song before it counts as a play and the way that song length and album length and blah, blah, blah plays into like how these artists get paid out and labels are, have an eye on this and are literally, you know, Hey, this song, instead of being three minutes, 45 seconds, can we get it under three minutes, 33 seconds because of the science ultimately. And like, can we have the chorus first have, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how many people are doing that. Yeah, certainly, certainly not. A lot of the artists that listeners of your show would be familiar with are probably not really paying that much attention to that. But, um, but there are a lot of people who are, uh, I think, and that's interesting. That's amazing. I didn't realize that they were digging, going that granular on everything. That well, it's crazy. a business at the end of the day, right? Yeah, so, yeah. They made it. They're they're in it. Well, the Spotify and. Everybody who's not creating the music really is in it to make some money. And, you know, ultimately yeah, the artist yeah, is too, but. Um, someone would, someone would say, yeah, I think <laughs> there are genuinely a lot of artists who, who just were shedding some energy and, and it started to make the money and they're like, sick, I guess I'll do this now. Uh, you know, and, and those people still have sort of like integrity in a sense. Yeah. Um, or are just good songwriters. I just, uh, I just got off a tour with Mariana's Trench and I had never really like they were on my radar because of, of who, like the band that they are and yeah. Canadian and all that. And, um, never really listened to them and being on tour with them. Like they're, they're just excellent songwriters. Um, and I think that it's like genuine, if that makes any sense. What I've always thought, interesting in conversations about writing music is people saying, Hey, why don't you just write this kind of music? Or, you know, like, Hey, write a pop banger or an EDM banger. And like, and then you can go back to making your weird music or whatever. And it's like, it's, it's really hard to write that kind of music if it doesn't genuinely flow from you, from your fingers or from your mind. And, uh, but for the people that, for the people that it does, I think, you know, I guess those are the people who get to, reach those audiences that inevitably are going to, uh, you know, allow them to buy more groceries. Um, <laughs> then, you know, then other people. And, and I, it's interesting to recognize that a lot of these people who are writing super, you could almost say vapid pop music. Uh, no, it's not vapid. Some of it is, but so. you can write incredibly popular esque music with substance and, and really, like it means something to you and you really love it um, as a piece of art, even if it is also simultaneously making a bunch of 12 year old girls dance or whatever to, to say that using a lot of like stereotypes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I agree with you. I mean, it not every song in every genre in, in certain genres is, is like you said, vapid, you know? So how, let's see, how did you get into doing lighting and visuals from being, from studying musician, uh, music, from studying music, from studying music and philosophy. Uh, I moved to Vancouver in 2009, May of 2009, I believe. Yeah. And, uh, 
to, to sort of like pursue music. Um, I knew that I've been using computers. Like I've been a bit of a, well, like a nineties kid basically for, so I grew up with computers and I really gravitated towards like making music and just the tech side of things as well. And I've always been into making events like in, when I was growing up, I would try, I would like throw parties and, and have events and I make like, um, haunted houses when I was eight years old and like get the <laughs> neighborhood kids to come through my haunted house or whatever. Oh, so I just awesome. wanted to like make experiences for people. Yeah. Um, and I moved to Vancouver. I did the thing where you go to all the studios and, um, Hey, can I, you know, be your coffee guy or garbage guy or whatever to try to get my foot in as like, Hey, maybe I want to be an engineer or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, a lot of doors were politely, uh, closed, but <laughs> one person introduced me to, to Devin. And, uh, so I went up to, I remember we met on Canada day, 2009 okay. and, uh, moved a, a giant cast iron stove out of this studio that he was, well, this house that he was turning into a studio uh where he subsequently recorded a couple uh albums i guess he kind of he recorded a bit of key there too but he was producing bands at the time and and was trying to like thinking that he was going to build a, a studio and do that and he did that for a while um So I met Devin, yeah, and we worked together up there for a while, uh, and he, I guess we got along, and he kind of took me in and and just taught me a lot and was super patient, uh, and we had a good time because we both liked kind of weird humor and, and just doing the work to get things done, I think. Um, eventually, he closed the studio, and so we parted ways for a while. I worked in Vancouver. Um, he called me up one day and said, Hey, I need a drum tech. So this is when they were starting the DTP backup or, oh, okay. or starting it up. And yeah. And I said, sick, uh, I went out and, and drum teched for a summer festival tour. And then that, that was, this was 2010, uh, in the fall, I then went out and was a tour manager. Um, okay. and while I was tour managing for them, they didn't have a lighting guy and I just, I like to be involved. I want to be part of like what's going on besides like get finding hotels and stuff. So, <laughs> uh, I just, I just, you know, I knew the songs by that point. I just started learning the consoles every day, day after day at these venues. And then the following spring, uh, winter, 2011, like February, 2011, we did a big, his sort of big European tour, uh, with the band. And I, we wanted to do video. So I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Um, it's been, it's been years and years of saying yes. And then figuring it out uh, (laughs) as we go, uh, which I think is a great, it can lead to a lot of stress and a lot of, uh, uh, surprises, but it's a, it's a, if you can handle the stress and learn quickly, it's a great way to, to kind of progress because, people will hire you if you say yes, basically like, yeah, uh, I, I feel like I meet people who are like, ah, you know, 
you ask them if they can do something, they're like, no. It's like, okay, well, sick. Then I guess Great, thanks. you're not going to do that. Um, yeah. yeah. Whereas I would just be like, especially like Devin's got, got big visions and, and, and also like a, a good direction of what he wants. And so he'll be like, Hey, I'm thinking this, can we do this? And I'd just be like, yes, we'll, we'll figure it out. Let's do it. Nice. And had some spectacular disasters and definitely <laughs> some spectacular, uh, successes. And so that's just how, yeah, that's how all that happened. And, and then you learn and build up, you know, your experience. And, uh, he's obviously knows some people. And so that led to, and I met a bunch of bands through these, through the years, right. That's how yes. I met you guys in Tesseract and Anathema and, uh, um, Steve Vai, which led to generation X, which led to John Carpenter. Uh, and when we, we toured with Gojira at one point, which led to me getting some work with Marilyn Manson. So it just kind of like, you know, goes out organically. I think, uh, if you are a good enough at the job and which I think is also just saying yes. And then, you know, showing up and making it happen. Um, and, and also like a decent person, which I'll say I, <laughs> I must be at least part of the time because people still keep asking me to hang out. But yeah, yeah. That's, that was one of, maybe one of the biggest things I learned earlier on was hearing people say over and over again, like you have to be a good hang. Right. And so yeah. <laughs> a large part of touring is, uh, just trying to be a, a decent human being. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people like hanging out with you. Yeah. Had, uh, sorry. That was a long answer, oh, but that was kind of how that happened. That's cool. That's what this show's about, man. We want to, I want to get, want to learn more about what goes on behind the scenes. So I've had one other lighting director on this show before. And, uh, cool. She was saying that she's, I met her actually through the band failure. Um, see him in, in uh, I, I'm friends with the drummer Kelly and I went to see him at the nine thirty club and, uh, Gigi was working the lights there and asked her to come on the podcast. And she's like, Oh great. That'd be fantastic. And I found out, that I found out what busking is and I, that she basically just busks the entire show every night. Nothing's pre-programmed, but she knows the show so well. Is that, mm-hmm. is that the way you run lights? And, and how does that change if you're actually on stage with the band? Cause I know you would become part at, at times you've been part of the touring band with Devin. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have really tried to, to get away from, from busking stuff, uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, it's, it's you ultimately, uh, still pressing something at some point, which, <laughs> which is part of that process. But, um, I try to prepare for the show as much as possible because I, I want the show to, to, um, wow me and, you know, uh, be, exciting for me and sort of the, well, there's different layers of busking too. And uh, maybe okay. that, that is also important to, to elucidate is like, there's showing up to a console that someone else set up and they're like, Hey, this is going to turn these lights on. This is going to turn these lights on and here's your colors and like, good luck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and which, which is how I started because when I was doing the tour manager thing, I had no idea how these consoles worked. And so, yeah, we, like I would show up and say, Hey, how does this work? And they'd be like, cool, this is here, this is here. And then eventually you say, okay, I want this fader to do this and this fader to do positions and, and one to do strobes or whatever. And, 
and yeah, and you, you make a show work and there are people who, who make six shows work that way. Um, then there's building like a Q stack and busking, which would be on for each song. You've got like a button that's going to go through different looks. So okay. the verse is, you know, this color and the chorus is this color. And I program a movement into the bridge and then I program like a solo look over here or whatever. And I can play through that. Um, and then busk along with the, the shots. So, you know, the, the sugar kind of accents or whatever, however you want to think about those accents, you mm-hmm. would still like play those manually. Okay. Um, but have sort of like the bigger palettes and looks all just on a button where you go next, next, next. The, the reason is just because obviously the more this stuff is prepared, pre pre prepared, uh, the New sort word. of the more accurate it's going to be, the less likely you are to sneeze and, and not hit something or get interrupted or whatever. Right. And yeah. The next level of that is to just have everything get triggered automatically by a computer ultimately. Right. And, um, that's what I was doing with, with Devin and I've done with Tesseract, um, which is like, they, traditionally call it like a time code show, which is where there's a, a clock coming from wherever's playing the music and the band is playing to a click track. Uh, they have to be playing to a click so that everything stays in time. Right. And right. that ultimately that same like click track is driving your, uh, lighting software and everything is just pre-programmed. So you spend a day or a week or a month, uh, going through each song really meticulously, you know, hitting every shot, hitting every look, hitting every blackout and every solo and all this stuff so that on the day you're not, um, when the show is running, you're kind of not doing anything. You're riding the, you're like mixing it, 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 like the, the intensities, the brightness okay, and solving problems like <laughs> you know, because you can sit back and watch the show, you can be like, Oh yeah, this, you know, should be this, this should be this. Whereas if you were doing this busking thing, you don't have the opportunity to fix any of these things because your hands are busy smashing along to the music. And there's an argument for like, that's maybe too involved because people don't need the light show to be that intensely choreographed for the band. But I think that for a band like Tesseract and for, uh, some of Devin's stuff, um, that it, it's sick to have this light show that is, you know, playing along to planet of the apes or to some intense Tesseract riff or whatever, these riffs that are like seemingly non-repetitive, right? Like yeah. really complicated. And the, it, the light show is just like super tight with it. Um, and of course you can learn the music and do that. But I, I did that for a number of years and I no longer feel like I, kind of even want to do that i would rather be yeah focusing on on things other than like trying to play some weird polyrhythm with like one hand while <laughs> doing something with the other hand or whatever you know um which is but it, it's it's super challenging in my uh, you know props to people who who especially to like gent and and heavy prog music like busk along with it yeah um but i really like i really like planning the shows out like far in advance and, and automating it if i can uh, for this next tour, uh, I will not be automating it. So I, it will be like a, it will be a Q stack 
and then busking along in that sense, doing the shots and triggering stuff manually again. So that's exciting and terrifying. Yeah. Uh, Let's see how it goes. With Devin's shows, are are they similar enough that you can pre-program stuff or is it, do they change each night and you kind of have to go with the flow? Uh, the, the DTP shows were the exact same show every day with the one, uh, with the one, what's the word wild card being, you know, what's Devin going to do today, yeah. which is, uh, which is why everybody's there. Right. Like, right. In the bat, which, and that's kind of what I, what I loved about it was you've got this band playing this awesome music and, and the visuals and the lighting and everything is super tight and kind of reliable every night and then he gets to sort of be with the audience and and talk to them and participate with them and um and that's what i always thought made those shows really exciting and and um it never really got boring was because you're like i wonder what's gonna happen today kind of thing (laughs) and it was always always a lot of fun um those shows technically were were yeah the same the same set list for the most part this you know for a tour uh, and this, we put, we're playing to a click track, so it's all automated. It's all pre-programmed. I just right. have to, or we would just have to sort of prepare the day's palettes as it were for the venue and the lights that we have. Okay. Um, and then everything runs. Yeah. Uh, the, his next tour is going to be more, less, uh, less rigid and therefore much more exciting. I think actually oh, cool. musically. So that's going to be interesting. And you guys are starting off in Europe. Are there any plans to bring it to North America in the works? Because I, I, I believe you told me that there wasn't anything solid yet. And uh, so I'm just kind of, I'm trying to plan when I can get, come and see him. So I'm hoping I can hear something soon about some, some North American dates. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know when a American tour will be announced, but I think it's safe to say that um, he tours America every album cycle. So it would be surprising if there wasn't an American tour. If you say, "Oh, fuck you guys," I think that's safe to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, when when you guys when he's designing everything for a tour, do you? You know, you have in control of the uh, lighting and the visuals. Do you get input into what the show looks like, or does does he just tell you what he wants, and then you have to figure out how to make it work? Well, both, I guess. Uh, ultimately, it's his it's his brain, right? Like yeah. that's uh, with the world of with the world of of Devin. It's always like we're all trying to crawl inside his mind and. <laughs> tease out like what is going on in there because obviously you can hear musically it's like amazing dense uh creative and aesthetic and heavy and like it's it's just it's there's so much going on there and at least for me uh i want to uh, uh grow that further out right visually so um and every process involves us getting together and just kind of shooting the breeze and talking about, uh, basically going through a, what are the songs? What is the vibe? Uh, is there an, well, what is the arc? Where are we starting? Where are we ending? Uh, what does he want to see each song? You know, does he have an idea for this? Uh, and it's, it's a conversation for sure, but it's also obviously his, 
you know, he, he, he'd be like, I don't like that. And then sweet. Now we're not doing that. Or, <laughs> or he might be like, Hey, that's sick. Let's do that. And now we're doing that kind of thing. So yeah, it's, it's always, it's always really exciting to just hang out actually and, and talk through those things. Cause, uh, we both get pretty fired up and, <laughs> and, uh, and get out there with some ideas sometimes. And, and what I love is it's like, yeah, let's do that. Like that sounds absolutely ridiculous. Let's do that. <laughs> and I think there's going to be some of that on this tour too. So that should be fun. So with empath, the, the music is kind of a departure. Some of, I mean, some of it, you know, it sounds like Devin, but it is a, definitely some, a departure in there when you heard it for the first time. And, and, and I'll, did any of it, were you surprised by the direction some of it took? Uh, no, not really. It's, I, I don't know which in particular, I mean, the, the obvious one maybe would be why, yeah. Um, song. And even, even uh, on but like I, some of the, uh, like the, the second disc with some of the, the demos and, and stuff, songs like Methuselah to me just sound very different from some of the stuff he's done in the past. heard the second disc uh, i can edit that out no problem yeah no i guess i think it's fair to say I've, <laughs> I've, I've heard a lot of music i mean i've probably heard actually i don't know i don't know what how much of it is uh new material and how much of it is is stuff that he had been woodshedding for a while and just wanted to get out kind of thing um okay. so i was going to say it's likely that i've heard some of it in demo form or or whatever uh but I, I actually never sat down and listened to the second disc. I think the, uh, like I was saying before, I'm not so much of a voracious, like feed me everything music guy. Mm, I would yeah. rather, I, I kind of like, I don't want to say pick and choose, but I think hearing empath and, and everything that that is, uh, was, was enough for the, for the, <laughs> you know, I was like, what else you got? You know, yeah, it was yeah. like, okay, well, I'm, I'm good with that for a minute. I'm like, trying to digest you know, this. Good. Yeah, well, it's like you you watch Lord of the Rings or like you know one one of those movies when the credits start rolling, you aren't like okay, so like you know what's the director's <laughs> cut or like well, I wonder what they cut out. You're just like wow, that was insane. I think I need to like go sleep for a week or whatever yeah. uh, <laughs> to to process this. I mean, in a good way. Uh, and yeah, and then I think actually legitimately, legitimately, I just forgot that there was another album. I don't know. To me, I think also. Uh, like I'm, I know there was a second Epic Cloud album. I don't know. Was there a second Transcendence? Yeah, there was a second yeah. Transcendence album. For me, the the album, like the main album, is is the intent and is like what is is the is the thing. Yeah. Then the second one is more like, and I could be wrong. I could be totally wrong, but is the second one is like, and here's a bunch of demos which I just want to get out into the world because. They're not, they're not fitting this vibe, but I also don't want to hang on to them. And, you know, here, so here's another 10 songs. And for people who just, again, are voracious listeners and love his music, that's, it, it works great. But, uh, I, those second albums are always kind of off my radar, I guess. If I mean, yeah, well, but I, like, may, I don't know, maybe. Yeah. I like the, I like the way he, he does it with the, the two albums now, as opposed to when he did it with the, uh, with the project and, and the whole, um, 
the four albums as one project, you know, the key addicted and, and he came out with the contain us box set afterwards. The mm-hmm. thing about that is though, is that it's got one of my legitimately, one of my favorite Devin Townsend songs of all time and two turntables and a Mike St. John. Right. That uh, well, there are those <laughs> gems that come out of these second albums. What, sure. what in the hell? How, did you have any input in that? What What is going on with that song? Because I love that. Well, I, I like to think I influenced it a little bit. Ooh. Yeah. Um, two turntables and a mic. Got so many. This song six hours long. Band can't play in the flugel horn. Saint John beating off watching Palm. <laughs> His suits be wrinkled, but it drying them all. Them cool glasses make the ladies home. Chest hairs buffing out to and fro. Rocking by the tomb of the Tootin Kamal. The, uh, that was the story of that. Uh, we were recording Deconstruction at the factory studio in Vancouver. Dirk Berberian, uh, you know, so- soil work now, Megadeth drummer, played on Deconstruction. So he's in town. Dirk is like, uh, just hilarious uh and wonderful and obviously an, an insanely good drummer and uh he's him and him and devin just had like the best time recording that record because they're again they, their humor i think is pretty similar and they, they're both just really lighthearted guys and 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 also musically they they connected really well i think on that obviously and oh, yeah we're in the studio and i don't know i don't i i don't know how that started but they just were I think it was even, I don't even think I was there. They just started uh, rhyming into this, into the phone or something, two turntables and a Mike St. Jean and um, all those different rhymes. And then Dirk was actually the one who took it and put the beat on it. And like, like I think Dirk actually produced produced it as it were musically, but it was just them, you know, <laughs> just thinking everything they could come up with into a phone while driving home after the studio or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and there it is. And then apparently it got released, which is hilarious. It is, it's amazing. It's, I mean, they're cracking know. up throughout the whole song. So it's. Yeah, it's uh, that is a spirit lifter of a tune. I guess. <laughs> now, you've also worked like you, you'd mentioned previously with, with John Carpenter. How, what were you doing with that? And uh, how did that connection come about? Uh, that I, I, I don't I don't want to. I'm giving away my process too much by saying that I legitimately say yes to anything and then figure it out. <laughs> how to make it work. But I met, um, John Carpenter's tour assistant, production assistant, um, on generation X. And she reached out to me and said like, Hey, we need a lighting guy to replace our lighting designer. Uh, are you available? And it was like, this, this is the technology that they're using. And I was like, sick, I've never used any of this before. (laughs) Uh, but, but I'm not going to not take this gig. So I was, well, that's, that's a bit of an exaggeration. Like I had used the console before, but it was, was just, I'd been using a different, uh, lighting console for years and had invested all of my time and money into like that, you know, think of like Mac versus PC or whatever. So Mm -hmm. I was just, really hip to one kind of console and this was a different kind of console and I wasn't unfamiliar with it. I just, it, I was a little 
bit of a noob with it more than I probably should have been when I said that I was totally into it. Uh, <laughs> and they I must have been desperate because here I am talking to their lighting designer who's like, all right, I guess you're the guy. So, uh, yeah, I went to – that was wild too because I, I flew to L.A. I had one day where they – the the lighting designer is a, a brilliant – just brilliant guy and he had he had uh dan hadley uh works for tenacious d and the food fighters and stuff oh wow uh, really yeah brilliant and 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 nice and funny uh and uh and we share similar political uh views which is great um that helps he, it helps yeah <laughs> uh he yeah he you know showed me the ropes of how to literally of how to hang this forced perspective um, like shark tooth gauze and screen combination that they were projecting everything on. And so we spent a day, uh, learning that and, and learning how to map the different layers of the video to this thing and how that was going to work from the laptop and all this. And then we spent one day, uh, going through the show file and sort of him showing me how everything needed to work and where everything was and blah, blah, blah. And then I immediately flew so I was in LA for two days Did that immediately flew to the UK and did like a week of touring with anathema. I think we did eight shows or something with a completely like this other projection mapping thing that I, uh, Vinny and I had kind of developed together and, and we had a really great six, like string of, of these, it was called the ambient acoustic or something, ambient electronic tour that was, I think supposed to start with just like them acoustically, but ended up as this, it was like full band extravaganza with this sick video projection oh, wow. thing. So that was awesome. Yeah, that was that was such a great tour. Uh, and then, uh, and then had to go back into this John Carpenter thing and and remember what I had been taught <laughs> over two days, like a week and a half prior. Yeah. And oh my gosh. They those guys are are so uh, nice. That crew and that like the the musicians and and the crew and everyone was just it was so nice. It was, a, it was really, it was a dream. And we were doing, did like a, a movie festival in Spain somewhere. Oh, wow. Uh, and just these cool, like some kind of cool venues. Yeah. And it's just such a chill vibe because everybody's just there to basically watch John Carpenter and, and his family play the soundtracks to his movies. It, it, like it, it was super, yeah, it was really great. That's, That's awesome. that was a highlight for sure. You also yeah. now you and you're actually creating your own music as well. So if we go if you go to your website, you have an EP available. When do you have time to, yeah. to write and record music? Uh, I I make so much music, I just never finish it. I I have <laughs> just an untold amount of demos, and it's the problem is it's spreading across laptops and hard drives and different. Dawes and and like I, I'm starting to lose track of it for sure. But I, I'm really it's it was actually ten years ago. Uh, well, ten years ago, basically today. Oddly, what's the date today? <laughs> uh, ten years ago, maybe ten days ago. Wow. Um, that I put this album, an EP out. Yeah, with a, with a terrible name. It was meant to be project, like like projecting. Uh, music or yeah. lights or emotions or energy or whatever. But obviously that's felt the same as project. And there's a lot of things called projects. So <laughs> didn't, didn't Google search that one. Only um, one's got a capital J though. Yeah. But it, you, the, the, the searches aren't case sensitive. I don't think. I, oh, that's true. And then 
want to do like a K. I didn't want to do like a K or like a three for the E or anything, you know. So a little too King uh, Crimson-y at that point. Yeah, or also that I think it was around that time everyone was hating on like the, all these bands with numbers, Blink One Eighty Two, Sum Forty One. Oh yeah, Forty Four, all this. But um, but yeah, I that came out about ten years ago. Really? No, nine. Still, that, nine, that's yeah. that's pretty crazy because I was listening to it because I just recently subscribed to your newsletter and got the EP is available for free if you do that. So I did get take that advantage of that and get the download. And I was listening to um, a couple songs like like Hiding the Stars. And uh, it's got some of the songs have a really interesting what, what turns out now to be a Stranger Things type of vibe to them. Little 80s synth. You got uh, like Hiding the Stars has this like 80s synth, new age, jazzy kind of thing to it. And to me, Canyon and Sky kind of sounds like it could be an Alan Parsons song. Sick. I'll take it. And yeah. I, that's my, I think that's my favorite song on the EP so far. I think that's kind of the, that's kind of like, yeah. Hiding the Stars would have been the, the lead single, even though it's seven minutes long and it's a little more like groovy or something, but Canyon and Sky, I think was sort of the, the winner of those five songs. I like the last two songs too. Again, yeah. one's a bit of a sleeper and I really like the first one. It's just too short. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's kind of the point of it. Little, it's, like, what, like a, it's under two minutes, like a minute 45 or something, I think. Right. Yeah. It's just kind of like a, a teaser of, I, I like of it. it I, I like it as just a bit of a, feel good brain teaser there's there's kind of, it's kind of a slow build and then there's just too much going on and then it's done and i kind of like that about it and um bite now to yeah me. i really want to get singer on that but i haven't yet asked any of the people i've had in mind <laughs> well like by southwest and, and uh altitude and motion sound like they could fit almost in the casualties of cool album you mean musically or title-wise? Uh, musically. And and actually, uh, kind of title-wise, by Southwest, at least. Hmm. Huh. Uh, sure. <laughs> I, I mean, I, it's, I get, I guess, I think maybe more altitude in motion than by Southwest, because that, that sounds, to me, a little bit like um, early Satravi, maybe. But I, I definitely hear some casualties of cool and the ambiance in the songs. And, and um Speaking of that, I did throw out uh, to on on some social media that I was having you on and asked some people for if they had any questions for you. And I got a few. Um, che Dorval said just to say hello and she loves you. So, hi Che, see you soon. So she she didn't have any questions for you. And she didn't actually give me any uh, any stories to ask you about either. But that's okay. I'll take. Yeah, it. you originally said you wanted funny stories and stuff, and and that, that I was like, man, I I do not have funny. I'm not a funny story guy. <laughs> like I, I make people laugh on occasion, but then, but I'm not like the you know, hey, do that again kind of thing. I just I shut down. So I'm not. I have no stories. Well, if we hang out long enough, you'll get some stories. But well, I uh, may be able to. Yeah, I I got a couple things here. Um, Ryan Van Puderoyen also chimed in. And told me to ask you a couple things. Sick. He wants to know why you guys call the uh, DTP tour buses fart tubes. 
I can kind of guess why, but... Yeah, because when you put, you know, 12 or 14 humans in in this little, you know, tin can uh, for, A, just the the diet, uh, I think it was it was um, Paul from Between the Buried and Me, we're, the, the two bands were touring together and, and they were doing this co-Q&A thing and somebody, somebody asked something I can't remember and Paul, uh, God, I can't remember his last name, but the guitar player from BTM is saying, uh, he's like, I don't know what it is about being on tour, but things that I would never do at home seem completely reasonable on the road, <laughs> such as eating an entire bag of Doritos at, or not Doritos, Oreos. I mean, Doritos, same thing. I would actually eat like an entire bag of Doritos, oh, yeah. like a like weirdo, but <laughs> like eating a whole box of Oreos at three o'clock in the morning and then going to sleep and thinking like, this is fine. <laughs> um, so when you multiply like habits like that times 12 people and often not enough time when we find a shower in the day uh, and then getting in a, in a, a room the size I can't even think like how small I'm at, there's there's 14 people in the in the space of like 14 coffins next to each other kind of thing right oh. and then um you know yeah times like an 8 hour drive when we've all just had breakfast lunch and dinner in El Paso Texas or something yes. like that the stench that's going to come out <laughs> of us is intense he also wanted me to ask you um he said you guys had certain acknowledgments with each other when you did the lights and then later on when you played on stage together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, it did start when I was at front of house and it was cause a lot of people don't notice and I will, and I'll try to pick up on things that the drummer in particular does every night. Um, and so like if it's, especially if it's something off the record, uh, I mean something, unique from the record that they're doing differently live and they'll do the same thing every night like uh off the top of my head in march of the poosers and he would do like a uh bass drum i don't think you can hear this but he'd go like and he's like like double bass drum through one of the bar into the next thing and he would do it in the exact same place every night it was not on the record and so i would program the lights that was one where yeah i was I was playing at that point and i would program the lights to also do that along with him but when i was at front of house i would catch things like that too and he actually noticed and then we started like acknowledging like yeah hey, you know, and i feel like there was there was once yeah there was one song where he would like sometimes do it or not and i feel like he was literally like psyching me out across the <laughs> venue like during the show he's like ah yeah. Uh, gotcha. uh, which is yeah which is funny because then the entire room is like what is going on right now and just him and i are like hysterically laughing across from each other there was that one and then there was an oh there was uh that was a fun one was in ziltoid goes home uh i think that was the one there, it was interesting how for a band that tried to not plan anything things would end up kind of like getting worked out where Beav and Dave would like do something together and then Beav and Dave and Ryan would do something together and then Dave would come over and he and I would headbang or whatever. (laughs) Um, So there's little things like that, that kind of just play out over, yeah, over like multiple tours, which is fun. I wanted to come back to the fart tube thing really quickly and say that I heard the other day, and I don't know if this is true, but I would love to have this fact checked that the, uh, 
the worst job in the airline industry is the crew that have to open the plane door when it lands after like a 12 hour Atlantic flight. Um, <laughs> apparently the stench when you open the door to this tube that has like 300 people farting in it for eight hours or 12 oh. hours or whatever is, is, uh, something to behold. I never I would have thought, thought of that. They would circulate that out. Yeah. So now I really, I, someone, you know, planted that in my brain and I, I like to believe that it's true. Oh. I really hope it's true. Oh, yeah. Somebody, somebody follow Mike or me and, and let us know that the answer to that question. Cause now that's going to be my, well, yeah. If you've ever been the person to open the, the plane door when it lands, I want to know <laughs> does it smell like, like a fire tube or is it like, you know, Jasmine scented somehow? Now, Ryan, speaking of that, now you, you, you kind of segued into the last thing Ryan wanted me to ask you about. He said you guys had some interesting border crossings. <laughs> now, he's not telling me any of these answers. He's just saying, ask him about some interesting border crossings we had. Ha ha. Oh, man, I'm not going to I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> I, think, I think that interesting border crossings are the kind of stories I might tell people in person. But I don't know. <laughs> Not on a recorded podcast. Go, I don't know if I need to go into it. Yeah. <laughs> Suffice it to say, sometimes border crossings are really easy. It's not, it's not anything that we that we did It's or like, you know, whatever. It's just sometimes you kind of have, oh, there was that one time that, uh, but it was just, it was all going super smooth. And uh, as the border guard was coming, getting off the bus, uh, like they came on, Hey everyone, like, okay, you're crossing like fine. And, and we're not getting a hard time. And they were like walking off the bus and somebody I'll say in quotes, uh, <laughs> farted, like ripped a fart and just didn't, wasn't thinking. Right. And just kind of like pushed it out. And it was like an air horn and they're just like, all right, everybody off the bus. And we all had to go in and sit in the waiting room and get processed and all this stuff. Oh. We, ah, we almost got through. Yeah, oh. um, but or, yeah, border crossing. Just as you said that, it just it it brings a, a cloud over my head because it's it's rarely enjoyable, and I yeah. get it. There's there's reasons for it to you know not be a, a really fun experience, but it's just not a fun experience, and yeah, I'm just getting anxiety about it either way. And I'm um, sure tour buses are targeted to be searched and checked out and and scrutinized very heavily. Yeah, they can be. I think I think it's all about, you know, the attitude of everyone going through, like just having your shit together and being polite and professional and, yeah. and uh, you know, yeah, not uh, doing stupid things. Yeah. A few more fan questions, and then I, I'll promise I'll let you have the rest of your evening here. Uh, Tobas Garrido wanted to know if you do music videos. Um, I... I mean, I, I, I made all of the visuals for, um, for our DTP stuff. I, I was looking at the glut of like over since 20, since 2011. So 2011 till 2017, basically, or 16, we did stop doing video at one point, didn't we? But there's about five years there where I was making the videos for for pretty much everything, if not making, then, then like overseeing or having to edit, make sure it lines up and all this stuff. Um, and in that time span, we did all four, uh, DTP, like key addicted deconstruction and ghost. We did for that show. We did retinal circus, which had a whole bunch of custom content. We did, um, 
the the Brixton Academy, which was Periphery, Meshuga, and Devin Townsend, which I just what a great lineup. Uh, oh, and yeah. we had custom content for that, a bunch of different screens. We did Royal Albert Hall, we did Ocean Machine, um, we did plus just like all of the shows songs that we did over all of those years there was a video like a visual element for every single one of those uh so yes i have made oh plus we did um ztv and we actually made two versions of that i don't know if i don't know how well traveled the original version of ztv was but i don't know if you recall before the z2 album came out we had like three online episodes yeah ziltor right and that was that was uh, a lot of fun. That that actually I met so many and and like really solidified a lot of relationships on that set. Like with Mike Zimmer, uh, Chris Devitt, who who built those uh, a lot of those puppets, and um, uh, Stephen Depko, who built the the set. Like such a talented and amazing human being. He's the kind of guy where we don't really talk that much, but every time I'm in his area code. I call him up and we hang out and we have like an amazing time. Oh, that's uh, awesome. But, uh, yeah. And, uh, I don't, I don't know why I went down that path, but, um, <laughs> uh, hi Steve, if you're listening, I miss you. Um, <laughs> we, we made those three videos, but actually before we did that, call it higher budget version, we did another version in a much smaller studio with just like three or four of us, um, a much smaller set. And I put like, a punishing amount of time into making the little screen that comes down. And we had all of these segments and it was like really a labor of love and emphasis on labor. And we like, <laughs> didn't, we weren't going to use it for anything. And I was just like, Oh my God, my life. But, um, but then it didn't, it did get released on something. I can't remember what it got released on though. It might've been even on the, no, it wasn't on ocean machine. It got released on something though, but there's, there's a whole other Ziltoid, episode episodic series out there with a not the original ziltoid and not the ziltoid that you saw sort of with the with the z2 album but this other ziltoid in the, the transitional ziltoid yeah how's that for a deep cut i really want to watch those again that was because that was also like i don't know like if you're familiar when De- when devin goes off with his humor it's like it's just like a train that you cannot stop and it's, it's hilarious and, you know, uh, and, and cringe all at the same time. And that guy, when, when he goes off, I mean, obviously, you know, we've all heard it when he goes off on these, uh, stream of consciousness rants, it's, it can be incredible. And then to take that and turn it into like Ziltoid monologues with, with these, this side screen showing like kind of like that, on talk shows where they show the screen, like a picture of what they're talking about or whatever. Yes. Uh, beside their head. Like we, you know, had that going and it was just, <laughs> uh, yeah, tremendous. Oh. And I don't know if all the material made it in, in there, but it was, it was pretty great. I'm going to have to go find that actually. Yeah. I want to do some deep diving on that too. It's been a while since I've actually looked at any of the, the Ziltoid videos. This is commander Ziltoid, the omniscient reporting yet again to the collective. Two more. Well, that's probably not on YouTube. Um, but yes, long story longer, I make videos. Okay. Anybody wants to be made, let's figure it out. <laughs> All right, two more from, from the listeners. Um, let's see. Oxidizer wants to know uh, in future projects or bands that you would like to tour with. Um, I am 
trying desperately to finish music. Uh, I, I just, yeah, I, I keep sidetracking myself. Um, I with work. Track, yeah, with work apparently. <laughs> and, and, and then like not working, uh, and not, I don't know. I've like, I, it, these projects have got spread across so many. I'm looking around the room now, like all of the different, literally in one room workstations with different things going on for just because I, <laughs> my brain's falling apart, but you keep saying, um, yes, I really, yeah, well there's that. And, and I, and I like all of these, I love all these things that I'm doing. Um, but Dave Young and I tracks drums for a bunch of songs that, um, when I did that anathema thing, I was the, the tour with the projection mapping right before the John Carpenter thing. I actually, uh, did a bit of like a live performance. I use that word, uh, lightly of some demos that I was working on. Oh, cool. So it looked like I was just on stage checking my email, but there was music coming out and, um, <laughs> I was like playing along on keys and like launching some samples and stuff. Uh, cool. so I, I went and tracked the drums with Dave Young, uh, for that. And so I just need to, comp together the different performances to, to get the arrangement that I want. I find that I write demos and then when I track drums, it allows it to finally start solidifying. And in that process, I end up rearranging everything. It's kind of an ass backwards way of doing things, but uh, <laughs> there it is. So I need to sit down and do that. And there's some people that I really want to work with for mixing and maybe contributing some ideas, but that's all, yeah, I need to kind of just take like a month and bash that out at some point, but I'm constantly working on another project, uh, which is, I guess is good, bad news. Yeah. But yeah, I had really actually intended to try to get it out for now, but it's, it is now now and it's not out. So I'm going to say <laughs> next spring or something. Uh, Dave and I are always threatening to do some more stuff together. I've got a, a really good friend and collaborator who actually contributed quite a bit to that original project, uh, alchemist EP, which really needs a, a renaming and a re-releasing. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, Matt, uh, Marley Rosen in, in Toronto does, has a bunch of monikers, Math Rosen's, uh, liars, Rosebush was actually like some brilliant stuff from ages ago, but I think it's still just like great writing and, and really good producing. They're a really good producer. And they then had a, project called out of veil a-d-a-v-a-l-e okay where they were singing more which is really interesting kind of like i want to say almost bowie-esque oh. uh singing style um, i wonder if they would agree with that and <laughs> um just just really interesting they're always doing really interesting production and like songwriting and i i always just really appreciate what they're doing and i hope that we can collaborate again soon a if you're listening um hopefully on this record again because they really helped me get my ideas like out. I'm stuck in my head a lot, as you may be able to hear in these conversations. <laughs> yeah, music on the way at some point. Good. Also, audit like audio visual stuff. I'm kind of working on that too, but that's oh, cool. We'll, well and no and problem. along those veins, uh, Wraithfire wants to know for people who want to support you, what's the best way to do so? Because he, they don't see that they see that you don't really have any projects on Bandcamp to buy or Patreon or anything like that. So, what's the best way to to support you in your musical yeah. video endeavors? That's uh, a really it's really kind to even say that they'd like to. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> nice of them to say. Uh, I guess um, 
I guess uh, when I put something out, then get it in how even just listen to it and talk about it. That would be sick. Uh, uh, that's yeah, that's cool. That's inspiring and gets me to want to finish some of this music because it is great when when people are like, hey, that, that was cool. I like that. That meant something to me. Um, it makes me feel like I'm not just doing it for my own uh, lots of weird reasons. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't have a Patreon. I, I think the album, that Alchemist album is still available on Bandcamp. I think you can find that link through my website or you can sign up to the newsletter and download it and share it with your friends. That's cool too. Uh, the, the goal is world domination. And by yes. world domination, I mean everybody listening to the sounds that I create. And they can also uh, support you by following you on, on the upcoming Devin Townsend tour. Yeah, come say hi. I'll be there uh, making lights blink, hopefully working on music in the downtime. Actually, that's the perfect plan. Uh, mm. So where where can people find you online, social media, and follow you and what you're doing? Uh, Mike St. Jean. Uh either dot com or Twitter slash. I actually deleted Twitter like months ago now. And I think for my mental health, it was one of the best things that I ever did. I still can't release the grip on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> but it's like, there's, there's, there is this feeling like, Oh, I should be quote unquote promoting myself, whether it's for employment or this, this again, like there was, the the person was saying when I put out music, I want people to hear it. And that's a great way to get in touch with them. Um, but the other, but it's really hard to use these things as output and not also as input. That's, and that's why I got rid of Twitter was cause a, I would just say, I would just get pissed off at something and like type a bunch of like, Oh fuck this and this person or whatever. And send it out in the world. And be like, Oh, that's not, you know, that's not helpful. Yeah, and, that's... and then otherwise it's just like, it's like, you know, you wake up in the morning and like make some coffee and sit down and then just stare into like a dumpster fire of civilization. It's just, that's so Twitter true. is so intense. Twitter's uh, the so worst too. It's great. I mean, yeah, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's it, really intense. I mean, uh, and it just wasn't, I don't think it was really helping my state of being at all. Oh no, I don't mind Instagram and that's because I was a photographer for years. So that's, it's obviously more visual and I kind of like that aspect of it and facebook i just mute people that i don't want to talk to or just you know whatever but twitter for, is it's just i don't know maybe i just don't have enough of a grasp on twitter to be able to to get rid of the people that i or, or at least mute them so i i don't see this the crap i don't want to hear i guess that doesn't even make sense yeah but that's the irony of it though is that they are these echo chambers of what we want to see, I think ironically is because, because obviously we're choosing, we're curating who we follow and what we see. Yep. Um, and although I guess the, the, the part where it gets ugly is when I like, I'm for example, following a political person that I believe in support and want to hear from. And then I read the comments to their posts sometimes and it's like, Oh, uh, uh, yeah. All these haters going to hate and trollers going to troll and all that. But, um, it's ironic that we are creating these echo chambers and then somehow they turn so ugly. And, and then ironically with, ironically with Instagram, <laughs> we also create these echo chambers of what we want to see and what we want to follow. But by seeing so much like epic made for Instagram content, I, I at least personally get 
anxiety being like, wow, like all of these people are doing this amazing stuff and I'm sitting here staring at my phone kind of thing. Um, <laughs> it's hard to, I find it really hard to let go of that. You know, um, to, for me, what yeah. happened with Instagram, I, I, I was a photographer for years and uh, my wife and I had started, had, uh, started our family, kind of had to get out of it to get a job that, with a little, lots, I won't say little, I guess a lot steadier income and insurance mm. and all the good stuff. But Instagram actually kind of flipped the switch back to me for my photography. And so I, I've, always, I've got a little bit of a soft spot for it for that because it, it really helped uh, rekindle my, my love of photography and getting back into it. So I, I've got a little bit of a soft spot for that one. Yeah. I, well, yeah, and it is. It's such a visual medium, obviously. Um, I, I think that there, there is value to all of these networking tools if you use them the right way, I sometimes have a hard time <laughs> using them the right way and, and just end up giving myself anxiety and stressing myself out. Um, but they are, obviously there's a, there's a benefit to them for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, Mike, I've, I've taken up a lot of your night. Thank you so much for spending so much time with me and, and talking about your career and the music and, and what you're up to. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, no, not at all. Thank you so much for taking the time and, and uh, for a, a cool conversation. It's been it's been good to get out of my head and chat <laughs> for, <laughs> for more than 20 minutes with someone not about, well, still about work, but not entirely about work. Yeah. Uh, not work for work's sake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's super cool. Thank oh, you so much. I'm so um, Yeah, no, totally. It, it's, it's been a blast. Uh, I will be honest, I was really... Uh, in my own head and not thinking I was going to enjoy myself uh, but I, I had a great time oh, I'm glad you Bye. did I, I really am It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.